Hello, everyone, and welcome to Back in My Play. Just hold on for a second. We're going to get into the episode. But since we recorded this a couple weeks ago, some stuff came up that I want to address real quick. First off, I'm giving away a code for Donkey Kong Country Returns on the 3DS. This is a U.S. download code, so unfortunately it is only for U.S. residents to win. And to win it, you need to do two things. You have to follow at Back in My Play on Twitter, and you also need to post a review of the podcast on iTunes. That can be a review from the past or one that you just put up there. And then just reply to at Back in My Play, letting me know what your iTunes username is so I can see that you submitted that review. You can get a second entry into this drawing if you also send out a tweet saying, hey, check out at Back of My Play, yada, yada, yada. It is the best retro gaming podcast or something along those lines, just so we can continue to spread the word of the show. Number two, and by the way, we're going to be doing that drawing, just to step back for a second. We're going to do that drawing uh, on Friday at about 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I might be doing some traveling on Friday, so it'll be sometime that day. I'll throw in the random number generator and pick out uh, one of the entries on there. So again, you can get two entries possible on that. And uh, either way, someone's going to win a copy of Donkey Kong Country Returns, a nice download code for the 3DS or 2DS in the United States or North America. And secondly, I am reviewing games on backofmyplay.com and putting a special twist on it. Really, I'm reviewing new games that are built in the retro style, whether it be retro graphics and sound or gameplay mechanics, things like that. The first game I did was Phantom Breaker Battleground, uh, which is fantastic. It's a game I don't know how I'd never heard of it. I guess it came out on the 360 a couple years ago, but they just released it on the PS Vita, and I reviewed that. Also, uh, I'm going to be finishing up a review for Shovel Knight on the 3DS. a little late to the party on that, but I was really on blackout for all the coverage and reviews of that game. So I put at least my own personal take on it. And then the next game I'm going to be talking about is Magical Beat, uh, also on the PlayStation Vita. A really weird Japanese puzzle game, rhythm game. It's like kind of nuts. It's like really hard, but uh, hopefully I'll get the hang of it and I'll have a uh, review up for that soon so check all that stuff out i also post video uh you know when i put up a review some video of gameplay and things like that so you can really see how it plays and if i ever reference something specific in the review i try to point it out in video form too so you know what i'm talking about when it's a pro or a con or a complaint an issue anything like that and then finally people have been asking like where are the t-shirts what when are you going to be doing more t-shirts and uh i'm going to be posting up new t-shirts by the time you listen to this they're probably already live uh, they're going to be on Teespring, and it's probably going to be teespring.com slash backinmyplay2. Just the number two. Backinmyplay2 is going to be the URL. And I don't know which design is going to be up there. A lot of people have been saying they want the Japanese console one again, but we might just put up uh, the regular logo. I'm not sure. We got three great logos now. Uh, it's just really tough to to narrow those down and to pick just one. But I don't know. We'll see. Back in my play to teespring.com slash back in my play, the number two, and you can grab your t-shirts on there. I'll probably let it go for like a week so uh, people can grab those on there. So I'm not going to talk anymore. We got tons of Sega Saturn stuff to talk about. So let's jump into the episode with Greg Stewart. Hello, 
Hello, welcome back to Back in My Play. This is episode number 35, where we are going to be continuing our Sega Saturn discussion. And this is going to be Sega Saturn 201. The prereq is done. We're going to be just strictly talking about great games that you can pick up for this fantastic console. And of course, still with me on the line is Greg Seward of at of at from the player one podcast and of course generation dash 16 this is so weird because we just finished up the last episode i'm thinking about giving out twitter handles oh that's how the world works now anyway you you say at and everybody knows what you're talking about so i know i know well you can you can find all that stuff on twitter you can use the internet you might need both to get either or so let's uh get right into it because we're going to be doing uh specifically three segments for this episode first off we're going to be doing a segment about cheap and common games like games that are great and i should preface this everything but our last segment these first two segments are going to be about great games. These are going to be the games that you should own if you have a Sega Saturn. And then we're going to save a little bit of time at the end to then talk about like weird games that you might want to think about picking up and why. Like Maybe we can convince you to pick up something like Johnny Bazooka or Johnny Bazooka Tone if you're in the United States. That was one of the weird <coughs> ones that I picked up out of nowhere. But uh, our guidelines are going to be... Not super rigid. Uh, for the cheap and common games, we're going to try to keep it like to 15 to $20 or less. Like some of these games might be two bucks, but uh, some of them might be a little bit more mid range uh, in the $20 area. And then uh, we're also going to be talking about expensive games that you should pick up. Like these are games that might be actually worth the $200 that you might need to pay for it or the $100 that you're going to pay for it. And it's funny, uh, Eric, who's a friend that of mine that lives locally, um, he listens to the show and he came over uh, the other day with just like a stack of Sega Saturn games. I'm like, yeah, just bring over whatever you got. He brings over like a perfect copy of Mega Man 8 nice. in the box. Like I'm like, dude, oh, you know baby. that's like $300, right? It's like, what? what? <laughs> I, just, I just asked for it for Christmas. Like he doesn't get into the price. Like I'm crazy to like know what all this stuff is worth and things like that. But um, he had... I'm just happy he didn't stack it in like a stack of CDs like some of his other games. He kept good care of Mega Man 8. But uh, let's start off just talking about uh, some cheap common games. And we might just go back and forth and then talk about some of this stuff. But let's talk about the some of the launch games that came out or more specifically in the United States. Like while the Saturn was not doing great towards the end, they started packing in three of its best games with the console and these games can be pretty inexpensive whether you're in japan or the united states and that's daytona usa virtual cop and virtual fighter 2 was it daytona usa i thought it was sega rally it was daytona usa in, was the, okay? in north america i am 100 percent positive okay yeah well i mean it's one thing it's funny because Saturn was doing so abysmally in North America, but if you read like various reports, somehow Sega managed to pull off a decent Christmas season every year. Not necessarily because of the new games that they brought out, but just because of the deals that they ran. And yeah, that three game deal was, I remember that being huge. Um, like it was just, it was a great bargain. It was a great deal. Um, and I, I guess it must have been fairly successful. But uh, yeah, it's it's another one of those things that made me want to get the Sega Saturn so bad because those are the games that I wanted. Those were the games in the arcade that I saw that blew me away and that I could not get on any other console. I couldn't get that right. experience of playing. Obviously, you weren't getting the awesome like six cockpit Daytona USA setup when you want to <laughs> like go uh, into your house. But 
you can get Virtual Cop and you can get access to a light gun and you can play things like Virtual Fighter 2, which, you know, there's people out there that might not love virtual like you can be a virtual fighter fan you can be a tekken fan you might be a street fighter fan but at the time that game was incredibly impressive on the console and in the arcade and like i said it just had one of the best credit noises of all time so of course i needed to have it in the home yeah that was the other thing too that daytona notwithstanding daytona is kind of an anomaly because it was done really fast and really early but like the 3D games that Sega made for the Saturn, especially the, the ports of arcade games, they were incredible. They were really incredible. And Virtua Fighter 2 is like the sort of the pinnacle. That and probably Sega Rally, mm-hmm. where you just turn those on. It's like, yes, I know this machine can't do 3D, but somebody forgot to tell Sega that because like they just they, they look so amazing. Virtua Fighter 2, I think it was even in a higher resolution than most of those games. There was just something about that game. It, it stood up against anything else at the time, and it was just amazing to play. I should have mentioned it in the previous episode, but the Sega Saturn does support RGB SCART out. So yes. if you are a uh, lucky Framemeister owner, you can uh, go through that route if you want to uh, get the RGB connection. But even through hooking it up from uh, S-Video to the R- uh, Framemeister looked great, and through my PVM, it looked amazing through S-Video. Mm-hmm. So props to uh, Sega for for doing that. Uh, so we got three games through there. Virtual, fu- uh, excuse me, Virtual Cop, which obviously as a, a light gun game, you're not going to have as much, you know, replay value in that game. But from what I played of it so far, and what I remember from the arcade, it's still a, you know, a great you know, blueprint for a fantastic light gun game, and you didn't have to deal with the stupid pedal stuff of Time Crisis. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the nice things is that, you know, Time Crisis kind of gave you a different experience. But yeah, I mean, as far as like gun shooters go, virtual, I'd probably say Virtual Cop 2 I enjoy more because it had like the branching paths and stuff like that. But again, the Virtual Cop games were were like amazing conversions for the uh, for the Saturn. And the other nice thing about that generation of consoles was they gone back to uh, they regained their sanity when it came to designing uh, light guns for their consoles. So the 16-bit, you know, you had like Nintendo's Bazooka and you had Sega's Menacer where it was like in 12 different pieces and you could do in different scopes on it and all that crap where these were just light guns. But yeah, the, the Virtual Gun was a fantastic, fantastic piece of hardware. And and I spent hours playing Virtual Cop 2 in particular. Um, it's just it's a great conversion. It, it looks gorgeous. Let's talk about that real quick because both these games, if you want to say individually, you can get these games for about $5 or less, whether they're, they're in the U.S. or the, you know in Japan. Uh, for an example, one auction on eBay right now has Virtual Cop 1 and 2, the Japanese versions, for $3 plus another $3 shipped from Japan. So, yeah, that's a no-brainer. Like just, yeah, just buy them and they'll eventually show up. Uh, you can play them with a controller. Obviously, that's not yeah. the best way to do it. So you might want to think about it. I mean, you might as well buy them, but it might also make you want to consider, do I have a CRT? Do I have something that I can actually play these games on? Is it going to be worth playing this stuff if I'm just going to be using the D-pad of a, of a controller to play through these games? To be honest, I think it might still be worth it just because there's some crazy Japanese over-the-top boss battles and great music in both of <laughs> I couldn't believe, I had very little memory of Virtua Cop besides like maybe the one time when I would play it in an arcade because it, the Sega games at that time were 50 cents. Yeah. And, and that was a huge, I mean, you're 
doubling the price of what I'm going to pay for an arcade game. And if I go into an arcade, I might get two $1 bills from my dad. So I have to really budget that stuff across a couple different experiences. And spending 50 cents for a virtual cop was really a high asking price for me. But just surprised, maybe, Greg, we've talked about this on streams and stuff like that. But across the board, it is like this is like the Super Nintendo of the 16-bit generation of just like almost every game having great music. Like everything I've touched on the Sega Saturn has been pretty damn good. Even Clockwork Night has been really weird, but it still had like good music. Yeah, but it's weird music. Like that's yeah, the thing. It's, sure. it's definitely an acquired taste. I mean, with the Super Nintendo, you just kind of had great music it's on a Japanese lot of games. Japanese music. Yeah, I mean, you know, you've got to be you got to be down with somebody in the background singing about uh, driving really fast while you're playing Daytona and stuff like that. But if you do get into that stuff, yeah, the music was fantastic. Like, I don't know what it was about Sega in the late 90s, but almost every bit of music that they pumped out, it was either really good or it was so weird that it was good, you know? Like, yeah. Um, but yeah, all, all of their arcade games had great music, which is kind of funny because I don't know about you, but every arcade I've ever been in, you could almost barely ever hear the music. Exactly. That's the games. thing is you, you get a mixture of NBA Jam and Virtual Cop and Die Hard Arcade yeah. and then, you know, Tekken or you have like old games in the background too. And you, but you, you almost like, you almost always could tell that there was just a ton of time and effort put into the soundtracks of all these games. Yeah. It's it's apparent by you listening to these episodes. You're going to hear lots of, of music, but uh, just if you somehow didn't listen to that first episode, you can even grab all the tracks from the soundtracks of these games on off the disc in your laptop or your computer or whatever and just rip them onto your, to your hard drive and listen to them uh, that way. And just playing through some of the later stage music in Virtual Cop was really impressive uh, mm-hmm. just, to, just to hear... The, the, the high quality that they put into a soundtrack of a game that someone might play once. They might only play the first stage or two because they don't want to sink $10 into this game <laughs> and uh, and then move on. But, uh, you know, before we go any further, uh, one of the things that we will uh, do our best to talk about is the difference between the price in U.S. and Japan. So uh, as we go forward, we will bring that up uh, for a couple other games. Let's talk about some uh, some fighting games because... Uh, you mentioned Virtual Fighter. We talked a little bit about VF2. Uh, do you even think Virtual Fighter, the first one, is even worth picking up? Or you just go right to <laughs> Remix, right? Or Mega Mix? Yeah, I mean, the thing is with Remix, I, I guess it's what you're looking for. I mean, it's an oddity, right? And if you're looking for something that emulates the arcade experience, the closest you're going to get is the original Virtual Fighter. And I'm guessing, I mean, I don't know what the prices are on that, but I'm sure it's not that expensive. It's all cheap. Yeah, exactly. I mean, VF2 is the game. Virtual Fighter 2 is the game. Mm-hmm. Remix is definitely worth owning as well if you're a Virtual Fighter fan because it's so different. I mean, it's it's Virtual Fighter 1, but it's fully texture mapped. It's not flat textures like the like VF1 was. Um so that alone, that in itself is kind of like this cool oddity. Plus it has some really really awesome character art on the front end, which I don't think you saw anywhere else. Um and it plays at a better frame rate and it it plays like Virtual Fighter should. So but I mean, I don't know if you, you have to be a big Virtual Fighter fan to pick up the first one. If you're just looking for a good fighting game, Virtual Fighter 2 is pretty much the gold standard for, for that. What about Virtual Fighter Kids? Because I have <laughs> I have two, but I ended up getting kids in that big shipment of stuff that I got from Japan. And I was having a lot more fun with VF Kids. And I remember seeing that in the Game Pro magazines and seeing that in Funko Land and stuff. I 
almost wanted to play, oddly enough, I don't know why at the time, I wanted to play that and I wanted to play Pocket Fighter more than I wanted to play like the big brothers or the, like the bigger versions of those games. Cutesy, super deformed Japanese phase. Or? Yeah. I, I have no idea. Like I wasn't like, man, I really could like go for some river city rampage right now. I didn't, <laughs> I wasn't having like, uh, you know, feelings like that, but for, for some reason, those games just looked, maybe they were just a little bit more, um, approachable for, for me with their atmosphere than like something of a hardcore, fu- hardcore fighting game at the time, because all I really had was, Clay Fighter and uh, Street Fighter 2 Turbo. Clay Fighter, God. Um, yeah, Virtual Fighter Kids is really, it's just repackaged Virtual Fighter 2. As far as I remember, I don't remember there's anything special about it. Um, the timing or the, the, the range of your character is a little bit different. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, anybody who hasn't seen this game describe it to you. It's basically Virtual Fighter 2 with super deformed characters. They all have gigantic heads and tiny bodies. Um it's 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 a lot of fun. If you like Virtual Fighter 2, you're going to like that game. I think the difficulty was actually ramped up on that game, which is kind of weird. There is a kids mode. There is a kids mode. Which okay. which makes it perhaps that was Too just easy. an audience they were going for. No, I I mean it was fine. Like it wasn't I mean it's super easy. Like you're almost not getting any competition back at you, but yeah. uh, for me, someone that was learning Virtual Fighter is is not super easy. Like that that is something no. that is very different from everything else that I played before, even different than uh, a Tekken or a Dead or Alive and if you want to talk about 3D fighters, uh for me the the learning curve on Virtual Fighter 2 has been uh it's been really difficult to to pick that game up and and kids was a little bit easier for for me to, you know, grasp the the combo system and I think they even well, first off the the game is only 3 buttons. Uh, so if right. you want to talk about the the attacks, it's your block, your kick, and your punch. So, which um, is Virtual Fighter in general? They're all that exactly, way. or they were all that way until three, I think. So uh, that is, is is something that's worth uh, checking out. And even if you want to talk about uh, Pocket Fighter real quick, you can get that for under twenty dollars for the Japanese version, and it has a limited roster of eight characters. But uh, plus, there's some hidden characters. Like right off the bat, you, Dan is hidden. Uh, if you mm. just go up, like I just found him immediately and, uh, I forget the other character that's hidden, but that is two buttons. So you have a punch and a kick and you have your directionals plus you have a taunt button, which you really don't need. So plus uh, again, the packaging is the real, the real, I think, draw for a lot of the for yeah. pocket fighters as well. And I think the other thing was, wasn't that one of the very earliest times that they sort of cross pollinated their fighting games? So that you got characters from like I think the different the Darkstalkers columns, yeah. are in there and yep. yeah and Street Fighter and everything so that was kind of a reason to have that as well. Yeah, it's it's a fun game and uh, you can the best way I can uh, compare it is to Match of the Millennium for the Neo Geo Pocket Color. Mm. Like it seems like it is a sequel to that game, uh, although obviously it is not because it came out before that. Right. So maybe it's vice versa, but it Precursor. plays. It is a really good uh, precursor. Um, just jumping around a little bit more, Greg, what, what's out there for racing games besides Daytona USA that's worth picking up? Well, Sega Rally is is the game. Okay. Um, you don't even need to be, I think, a, a rally fan to enjoy that game. It's just a, an extremely high-quality uh, racer uh, from Sega for, for the Saturn. Um, there's Sega Touring Car and Manx TT out there. Sega mm-hmm. Touring Car has an incredible soundtrack um but it's pretty unplayable 
uh, nowadays, especially back then too. But nowadays, it's kind of like, ooh, this is this is even worse than I remember it. Just in terms um, in graphics or controller. Control. Okay. It's it's got this extremely. I mean, it's it's digital controller. Remember when we we're talking about these racing games? Ninety percent of them were still using a digital controller. Um, so it's just extremely touchy, and uh, it, it's hard to hard to get going in a straight line. Hard to turn the way you want. The game moves extremely fast, uh, so it's 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 just kind of hard to keep up. Um, Outside of that, like I said, Manx TT is pretty good. There's an F1 game that Sega came out with. F1 Challenge was quite nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was another one that was right on the well, tip of my Well, there's a weird tongue. version of Wipeout on, on the Sega Saturn as well. Yes. Yeah. That Which I think was okay, but it's you're, you're going to get the better game is the PlayStation game. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was one other one that I wanted to mention, and now I totally forget what it was. Well, for people who want to pick up Sega Rally, that's also very inexpensive. Like, the Japanese version is under $5, and even for the U.S. version, if you want to get it, uh, you're going to be talking under $10, maybe close to 5 depending on, you know, how much you care about the condition of the games. One thing that I've seen uh, in that, in terms of the U.S. versus Japan debate, of course, the U.S. version of the games have the really terrible fragile long cd boxes Mm, yeah and uh along with that it seems this is just in general the people in the united states don't take as good of care of games as people in japan did when i order games from japan i'm literally getting like perfect games for really cheap plus a lot of times like in japan they had spine cards for cds (laughs) yeah Uh, and a lot of times like i'll open up the case and just find the spine card like in there with the instructions and things like that so you get a great package so maybe another even another reason to make sure that you're you know maybe looking at the japanese version too and comparing and contrasting with prices when you when you say used in the japanese market it definitely means something different than it does in the u.s i remember um ordering a couple of uh sega books actually from japan i actually asked john riccardi of a4 um, if he would pick them up for me and he went and found some prices and he came back and he said, I know those seem high and they're for used books. But he said, I want you to understand that when you say used book in Japan, it's not the same as you going to like a thrift shop mm-hmm. in the U.S. or Canada and seeing like these thumbed through and, the, you know, like dog eared books and stuff like that. And he was right. He, I bought them, he shipped them and it was they might as well have been new. Like they were in such perfect condition. Um, the other game that I, the other racing game that I was thinking of which i didn't look up a price on this and it, it is kind of an oddity as well but sega revisited daytona yeah, on the saturn true. it's called daytona uh championship circuit edition which it gives you a, a better feel for what daytona could have been on the system had they had a lot of time to work on it um it's got the original three tracks plus two extra tracks a new soundtrack which is just as weird as the first one um it's actually done it's got lyrics by eric martin of mr big what? Yeah, you should go. <laughs> you should go look up the theme song at the very least. Um, it would it even be list. worth finding and, and adding it to this episode. Um, but yeah, it's it's not bad. Um, I don't think it has quite the same level of excitement, but it's a much more impressive looking version of Daytona than what we got originally on the Saturn. And it's got two extra tracks. It's got a bunch of extra cars. So it's definitely worth it's definitely worth checking out if it's cheap. So it's a little bit like Virtua Fighter Remix, where they just kind of, kind of. fix some of the the issues that yeah. they had due to the rush for launch. You know, they had yeah. to get this game out there. So uh, when you play the original Daytona USA on the Saturn, there is pop in all over the place. Like, yeah, you, you can see maybe you know twenty yards ahead of you, then the other textures are just waiting to be popped in. 
Yeah. I will say for, for price reference for people out there, uh, Daytona USA Circuit Edition, uh, Japanese version, you can get it for about $5 in Japan, maybe in $3 shipped. Uh, or if you want to get it in the United States, there's copies complete for under 20 bucks. Um, and we, we, we were touching on fighters earlier, but one thing that I think is worth mentioning, especially for anybody who's looking at getting imports, pretty much any of the 3D Sega fighters are cheap and they're all really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, fighters Mega Mix, Fighting Vipers, Last Bronx. So what's uh, the difference? Because, I mean, when I when I was grabbing this stuff, like Last Bronx, Bronx when my friend was out, uh, Natsumi was out there in the shops in Japan taking pictures of all this stuff. I'm like, that's a name that I recognize. Maybe it's just because of the Bronx. But uh, they, I mean, the game was $3 and it was like a two-disc special edition. Oh, really? Or whatever. I don't, yeah. I mean, I, wow. I don't know what the other disc is. I haven't looked at it. But there's like an arcade edition on one disc. And I guess there's a Saturn edition on the other disc. Is yeah. the best I could get from the case, but um, like for three dollars, like again, what what are you going to really miss out on? I mean, right. And the nice thing is, is that they they all play, they all have a similar feel to uh, to Virtual Fighter. Although I know that like hardcore people will say, well, no, they don't. They're completely different games. But um, like Fighting Vipers is kind of cool because it's actually enclosed arena combat. Uh, I think with weapons as well, but. So the whole idea there is rather than ring outs, like you're actually stuck in an arena with people and you can actually smash them through the walls of the arenas. Um, Last Bronx what is is a weapons-based fighting game. And uh, Fighters Mega Mix actually had elements of Virtua Fighter 3 in it, not to mention a ton of characters from all these different games, including like Sonic the Fighters. And there's even you can even fight as the car from Daytona in, fighting, in Fighters Mega Mix. So it's actually a character. And they're right off the bat. There's a bear you can fight as right, and and then like talking about import fighting vipers, best best secret character ever, Pepsi Man. Oh, that's right. Is a hidden character only in the Japanese version of Fighting Vipers. What do you, do you have any idea what caused that relationship? I have no idea. Well, there were there have been Pepsi Man games as well, but I have no idea what caused that relationship. I don't know. I mean. <laughs> If Cool Spot can't get in my fighting game, I don't know if I want to play it or not. It should just be the, you know, mascots of fighting games, mm-hmm. uh, fighting game. But uh, let's talk. Uh, we're going to be jumping all over the place. But hopefully for, for most of the stuff we're going to be talking about right now, it's going to be relatively cheap games. And uh, one of the games that is a really just a big part of, uh, you know, a lot of people's like must have on the library is Knights. So I know nothing about Knights. Talk to me. Why I why is this game something that should be in a Sega Saturn library? Well, there's a couple of reasons. I mean, for the historical, from the hist- historical standpoint, anyway, Knights was pretty much supposed to pick up the slack for Sonic. Um, there's no major Sonic game on the Saturn. It's one of the biggest failings on the system. Um, and this was actually Sonic Team's baby was Knights. Um, it was it got a huge push here as it did in the in in Japan I believe and of course it was the game that introduced the the 3D controller the analog controller to the system. Um, the game itself is pretty much like a it's like a 2.5D. It's a flying game, but it's played in two dimensions in a 3D world and you're you're stuck on a path. Um, and the whole idea of the game is actually to get through these different courses as fast as you can, but doing as many tricks as you can to rack up all these multipliers and bonuses. And that's really the entire game. And then once you've got, once you rack up enough points and get enough gems or whatever, as you move on to the next level, eventually get to a boss, 
the all the fighting is done by doing like loop to loops, so you can create like a vacuum that sucks enemies in, or by grabbing them and throwing them. And it's really bizarre, and you're either gonna love it or hate it. Um, but if you can, if it's cheap, it's worth getting because it's totally different than anything else you've ever played. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is Sonic Team. It's pretty impressive, and it's 3D for the for the Saturn, considering you know that the lighting and everything is is not something you saw as as commonly on the Saturn. And it's actually got this really interesting feature, which is is called a, it's called a life, I think. Which you're in a dream world, and it's 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 populated by these little characters called Nitopians, and they're all over the bottom of the stages usually. But the thing that you didn't, nobody really knew back when the game was out, and you kind of learned this, is that you actually have control over how they evolve, um, and it all has to do with how you act around them. Like if you, if Knights flies by and he does like a loop de loop and sucks some of them in, that changes the way they evolve. You throw enemies, and like when you would throw enemies, they would turn into balls that would bounce around the stage, and they'll collide with the Nitopians, and that affects how they evolve. Like there's this whole underlying sort of um, AI system just controlling these little non-player characters throughout the game that grow and change as you play and play more. Hmm. It's really strange. That is some weird stuff, man. (laughs) But anyway, it's worth trying. And if you want to go, I don't even know, I don't know which one's cheaper, but the other one, of course, is Christmas Nights. Mm -hmm. And Christmas Nights was, it was free in the U.S. I don't know how much it was worth in, in Japan, but it's basically a single set of levels from knights it's it's a demo for knights but um it outline it outlines the a life stuff a lot more uh obviously like you can actually see how things are changing in that and of course it uses the system clock to change the game so if you play the game in and around christmas time the music changes to like a sort of a jingle bells motif and and the levels are covered in snow and knights is red and white and stuff like that and different times of the year different special events through the year the game will change based on what the clock says i love stuff like that like i will never play animal crossing uh, (laughs) but i think it's cool when developers do stuff like that that lines up with the internal clock of the hardware there's a few cool a few cool examples of that on uh, on the saturn one of the things that i really loved about it actually uh, clockwork night 2 uses that feature as well only in its title screen but the title screen changes based on various holidays on the calendar no way all right, so maybe that game isn't just absolute garbage. Um, I'm just kidding. So for, for people out there, if you want to pick up uh, Knights in the U.S., it's going to be running you about $20. In Japan, you can get the Japanese version for $5 or less. Even Christmas Nights, uh, they did a special package for that. You can get that for under 5 bucks too. So Totally worth it. Not, uh, not going to be breaking the bank uh, with those. Let's talk about House of the Dead because this – when, when I'm looking at the Sega Saturn, in my eyes, a lot of it is much like, not much like the Dreamcast, but like the Dreamcast, you know, arcade ports in my home. I want to be able to play these games at my house and not have to put quarters into a machine. One of the games that was a, a big part of the arcades at the time in 95, 96 was House of the Dead. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those games that is a uh, there's a huge gap between the Japanese and the US price for this where in Japan you can get it for under $10 like you might be talking 500 yen 800 yen where in the United States you're going to be talking about well I mean $100 or more if you want a complete copy of the game so do you have any experience I haven't played the Saturn version of House of the Dead is it is it good or is this something that's like is it worth $100 to pick up House of the Dead no 
Okay. I don't think so. Um, it's a good game, but I, and I could be wrong with this. My memory might be fuzzy on it, but I don't remember ever being all that impressed by it. Like it, Sega had got to the point where they were doing a really great draw, great job in general porting Model Two arcade games. So when I'm saying Model Two, I'm talking like Virtual Fighter Two, uh, the Virtual Cop games, things like that. Um, they were doing a good job porting those games to the Saturn, even though it was less powerful than a Model 2 board. They kind of all had the same look and feel. <clears throat> House of the Dead, I remember being kind of messy looking uh, on the Saturn. Um, it's, it was still fun. You know, I mean, it was still served its purpose, but it just I remember it being kind of glitchy more than usual and just not all that impressive looking. And I mean, the whole reason it costs so much in the U.S. is because it's one of those last like half dozen games that came out in the U.S. from Sega. That's the only reason it's that expensive. It has nothing to do with quality. It has everything to do with the fact that it's hard to get. Gotta love games like that. Uh, yeah. It's House of the Dead 2 on the Dreamcast, though. Fantastic. Wow. Oh, yeah, it was great. House of the Dead 2 is great. And like I said, House of the Dead is fun, but it's just like you put it next to something like the Virtual Cop games, which came out earlier. Yeah. They're better. They yep. just they look better. Uh, a couple other things that we wanted to hit on in terms of just games that, you know, you should be picking up that are relatively cheap. Um, sports games, not something that really comes to mind when you're talking <laughs> about uh, Sega Saturn games. And actually, I might need a pause for one second because they're going to try to deliver something that they can't deliver without me signing. Uh, so we're going to pause for two seconds. You're getting another be, outrun machine, are you? Uh, potentially. We'll be right back. Champion, Champion of, of Law and, and Order. order. back the uh, mailman instead uh, dropped off a copy of toe jam and earl from adam a fan of the show so thank you adam i will be playing that and correcting uh doing the uh, quantum leap thing of uh fixing things that once went wrong and making them right well whatever the tagline used to be sorry scott bacula um he's a fan of the show he loves old video games so it's kind of weird i should get him on the show at some point um but we're gonna talk uh, about some sports games and also uh, some weird games and some shooters. So, uh, man, I didn't know this would be this long, but let's talk about sports games because you wrote down a couple. And when I'm thinking sports games, it's like your EA sports games and, and things like that. Sega Sports was not really, it was growing, but it wasn't what it was going to be with the Dreamcast. So what sports games should people che- like check out for cheap? Honestly, the only two that I can uh, recommend are Decathlete and Winter Heat. Uh, which are both uh, track and field style arcade games. Uh, they're both quite cheap, I believe, and they're both just overflowing with atmosphere. Um, Winter Heat, especially, is, is my favorite. But I'm from the you know the frozen north, so I like winter sports better. But it's basically like you know, decathlete, uh, shot put, uh, the various races, uh, foot races, stuff like that, javelin throw, hammer throw. Um, with winter heat, it's a lot of skiing, a lot of uh, jumping, and uh, so is this like a track and field setup? Like a track and field? It's exactly a track and field setup. Oh, it's, cool. You know, it's like tap the buttons as fast as you can, stay within, make sure your your power meter doesn't go too high, or else your stamina will go down, and you'll have to slow down. And but it's got these like this ridiculous, very Sega Japan cast of characters uh, for each like for each country. 
and it's just loads of fun. You get it, you play it with a bunch of people and it's just both of them are loads of fun. And from the quick checks I did, and you're better at this than I am, but it looks like the American versions of both those games are extremely cheap. So, yeah, I mean, you can pick up the the Japanese version for for under twenty dollars, like fifteen dollars of Winter Heat, and actually for both games. So, yeah, um, you're not going to be you know spending too too much money on those. But having another like track and field like game after, I can't tell you how many. It's just so weird having friends growing up, and they would always get like the Winter Olympics games for Super Nintendo, mm-hmm. or you get even like you saw stuff on like the Sega Dreamcast that were just terrible. Um, to actually have some good, like two button, just like all about just press these buttons as fast as you possibly can. Yeah, and, and that's they're, they're great. They do it so well, and they're they're really good party games. Cool. Uh, add that to the list. This list is getting super long, guys. You're gonna have to maybe not do what I did. Buy like three or four <laughs> games at a time. <laughs> you haven't even gotten into the expensive stuff either. I know, I know, but this is this is cool. If you can find all these games like from Japan and you can get 10 games for like 50 bucks and then spend $15 to get them shipped, you can get 10 games for $65 and be good for a long time. Uh, let's talk about some some vertical and horizontal shooters with this console. It is full of them. Like there's Mm-hmm. tons of them and some of them are hundreds of dollars but some of them are relatively cheap like we were talking uh darius Gaiden, uh that a fan of the show adam sent in you can get great games without breaking the bank like this goes for under 20 dollars in japan and you can uh you know pick a shooter like that up and also layer section is another thing that comes to mind that is a a vertical shooter but it also has multiple planes of action where you're targeting uh, things that are below you, locking onto them, and then firing lasers at them. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of not super unlike Star Fox 64 when you're like kind of locking on them, but you just have to get your lock-on reticule over them. It'll automatically lock on. And then once you fill up all your potential locks, which I think is seven or eight, you can fire and then you can prevent those guys from then coming to your plane and then shooting at you. Uh, but it's also the case where you might have things below you, at a plane below you, shooting up uh, at you that you want to take out, like tanks and things like that. So really interesting, interesting game um, from Taito that is uh, worth checking out. Also, you can easily get that for like $10 in Japan or the, I forget what the English version of that game is called, but it's much more expensive. Galax, than it. uh, was that the one that Acclaim released? It, it might be. Galactic um, Attack, maybe? Or? Oh, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds right. So you might want to, uh, again, source out the Japanese version. It's just a shooter. You don't need to know what's going on. And uh, the voice work is in English. So Nice. I don't know why, like lots of these Japanese games, they do the voice work in English and then they have Japanese subtitles, even though they're clearly focused towards the Japanese market. Whatever. I don't know what to tell you. I'll take it. I'll take it. (laughs) Um, Let's talk about some pinball. Uh, You put on their Last Gladiators pinball. Let's talk about this game a little bit. I've only played like five or ten minutes of it. So this is actually part of a series. Last Gladiators is the only one that came to the U.S., but it's a Kaze, I think, is the name of the company that made these. And yeah. they also did one, I think, called Necronomicon, which I've never played, but I'm assuming is really good. But it's just this, I think it's a set of like three to five pinball tables. They're not real tables. They're, I think they're all digital, like they're all creations from within the game. But they're just loads of fun. It's ex- extremely high resolution for the Saturn. Um, 
and it's just the ball physics feel great. The tables are fun. They, they all have uh, sort of an ancient Roman theme to them, I think, in Last Gladiators. Um, and one of the things that I always liked about it is that you constantly got to see um, the dot matrix screen that would appear on the back of a, a real pinball machine. That's how all the information is conveyed to you. So it would pop up all the time and you'd see like this art that had been res down to this black and white dot matrix uh, style. Uh, anytime like you got like a multi ball and it would show art and it was all very authentic to what you would see in an actual arcade on a real pinball machine. So that was what I always dug about it. And it has this crazy soundtrack, this crazy sound, a hard rock soundtrack that I loved. And that was it seems like that soundtrack was made specifically for the game. I think it was. Oh, it's it, it is. If you like dumb stuff like that is super stupid and it is over the top. And yeah. what I liked about it is for for me, I'm not a huge pinball guy just because whenever I'm not very good at pinball, but yeah, having either. having a game like this where it's actually like pointing, it, it points you to the stuff that you should be aiming for. Like, all right, you activated this set of uh, things that you need to do here. Make sure you have to get your ball into this slot. Make sure and just as soon as you get it in there, it'll then point an arrow towards where you want it next to get a multi ball or to lock in balls for a multi ball or get a bonus or something like that. Um, and there are interactive tables, so it's 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 a nice setup. And uh, for people out there that are sick of playing Alien Crush or mm. like I even got. Um, what you guys were talking on the show a couple episodes back, uh, Jackie Crush, uh, pinball for the Super Famicom. Uh, so if you need more video game pinball, uh, this is great. And even underrated pinball for the Atari 2600. I thought that was all right. I love that game. Yeah. I played, I played a lot the, of that game. Totally. Yeah. That's maybe the best game on the 2600. Saying <laughs> it right here. Um, so... I should preface this. We're not going to talk about every great game, not every great cheap game. There's just too much stuff to talk about. Yeah. We're going to do our best. So I know there's going to be people before we go into the next part that said, oh, man, you why didn't you talk about, you know, Sakurai, you know, album four or something like that. I, I just made up a great <laughs> name, but that's probably like one of those great sex novels that's on the Sega Saturn that helped keep, oh keep it alive in Japan. Um, picked up a whole box of those. Yeah, I mean, we haven't Japanese. We haven't touched on some of the great games on the system too that are just really expensive. But we will. Okay, oh, but I'm just going to say, like, we're. I don't even think we'll cover all of those because even yeah. that list is pretty big. Um. So let's take a. Uh, actually, no. Let's keep going. We're we're going to talk about some cheap, weird games. These are games okay. that are are not very expensive, but they're not like great games. But they're just like. They're unique. They're mm -hmm. something that is specific for the console, or they might just be some, some weird crap that you might want to think of picking up if you have a couple extra dollars. Um, I want to start talking about a game that I got in a package that I started playing for the first time on a stream, and <laughs> immediately... This is such a bizarre choice. <laughs> Johnny, Johnny Bazooka, or Johnny Bazooka Tone in the U.S., this is a game that is a side scroller where you have uh, a charge shot with like you're basically like making guitar like motions like you're playing like big like winding guitar motions on a guitar so you can charge it for a charge shot otherwise you have uh like a guitar that 
or I guess a bazooka, or if you want to call it like a bazooka tone, a bazooka tone where you can actually shoot like a machine gun, um, which allows you to shoot characters, but you can also shoot down after jumping and then do like a glide as you go forward. And this is a super weird game that is like a mixture of ghouls and ghosts and like earthworm gym and just weirdness. But it, it grabbed me immediately because of the soundtrack. Like the soundtrack, that first track that um, I'm going to be playing in this episode is awesome. Like it just, it made me feel like I was watching, like listening to the hacker soundtrack or something like that. The hacker soundtrack? That That is <laughs> the thing that I could connect it That's to the great. most. It just had a weird, it felt like 1995. Nice. It totally did. Like that, that you know, mixing electronica with regular you know, instruments and things like that. Um, and this is a game that you kind of, I think you were, on, you were on the stream watching it and you remembered this game, but obviously it didn't seem like it got, uh, you know, great reviews. Uh, it's a very short game and it is somewhat difficult. The hit detection is pretty uh, iffy, but I mean, it, it's a it's a game that you should pick up for $5. I'll go with that, sure. <laughs> You don't remember it so fondly. Uh, no, I don't. I, I, but I, I honestly did not play a ton of it. So I, I mean, you, you, you enjoy it. So that's good. It's a great game. What else yeah. you got? Um, I'm going to group three of them together here just for the uh, yeah. sake of time. But I have three uh, full motion video games listed here. Um, D, Enemy Zero, and Mansion of Hidden Souls. So these are pretty much like the push forward to or push up to move forward to the next scene. Mm-hmm games for the most part um d is one of the more was kind of a a bigger one back in the day because it it took a while to come here acclaim finally released it here and it's done it was the first game by a company called warp which if anyone was around back then probably remembers them uh the the, the main guy at warp was kenji ino who uh, he only passed a couple years ago actually That's you right. mentioned james milky uh recently and i think he headed up like a big uh memorial forum over in japan recently or in something that he does they had a big uh, kenji ino memorial thing going on um anyway it was completely full motion video so you walk into a room and you know you'd have puzzle it was an adventure game you'd have a puzzle to solve and then you move to the next room a lot of cutscenes. mansion of hidden souls is the exact same thing where you play as a boy stuck in a mansion where other souls have been trapped and turned into butterflies which is really weird <clears throat> actually it was released on the sega cd first and then came to the saturn Enemy Zero, the reason that I put this on here, and is one of my favorite games for the system. And the whole reason why is because it's it's not a follow-up to D, but it uses some of the same characters. Like, I believe the way it was is Kenji Eno mentioned that um, he, he considered them, Laura in particular, she was also in D2, considers them his actors. <clears throat> and he had them in this game. And the whole thing takes place on a spaceship, not unlike the Sulaco from Alien. Um, and they're trans... This, crew was transporting an alien of some sort and it escapes so you have this full motion video puzzle section but you also have actually 3d shooter sections uh that you're moving through the corridors in real time but the key thing about this game is that the enemy enemy zero is invisible so the only way you know where it is or where they are is by sound that's how the entire game is played. So you're, you're walking through corridors and you're listening to sounds and tones and things like that to find out where these enemies are in order to shoot them. And I think you've only got one or two shots in your gun or something like that. There's a really bizarre, cool idea that um, 
I think got forgotten, but was actually a really, really cool little game. And it did come here. There is a there is an English release of it. Mm-hmm. The I always remember seeing in magazines my official Dreamcast magazine D two. Mm-hmm. Was a hot release for for the Dreamcast that I never it was launched, wasn't it? May have been. I, I just I always remember seeing like amazing visuals from that game, and just never yeah. picked up either of them. I just heard they were both incredibly weird. They are weird, very right. weird. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about Clockwork Night because that is <laughs> super cheap. If you want to get the Japanese versions, you're talking like two dollars a piece, and you are in. I will say I got Clockwork Night, and then I have this other game that it looks like the sequel to the game, but it doesn't have like a two on it. And the only like I booted it up, and it seemed like it was the same game, but then it like booted right into a boss battle. So I got to figure that like Clockwork Night Two starts off exactly where Clockwork Night One ends. Have no memory of that. that, You might you might be right. That would be some cool Back to the Future level stuff if that's what it does. Um, But it is just your you know straight up two button you know action platformer with two and a half D and there's some weird stuff going on, some funky music, and it is like why not for a couple bucks? Like what what did you think of this game? Did you play it? Obviously, well you played it when it came out. Like you impressed. I played it, but I played it with launch goggles. Sure. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was it was one of the first five games for the system. And remember, I told you there was quite a drought yep. uh, at that point. So <clears throat> I don't really have fond memories of it, to be honest. It was definitely at the bottom of my list as far as the launch games went. And Kevin, how can you forget uh, it's standing right next to you or it's sitting right next to you, uh, Dynamite Deca as an action game that should have been mentioned uh, for this <laughs> segment. And I'm going to. We'll just retroactively say um, Die Hard, the arcade game, or uh, Dynamite Deca in Japan is uh, under Lots $20. Oh, it's this is the game that I wanted a Saturn for. Um, Makes up for the lack of uh, Streets of Rage on the Saturn. Totally does. There's great... This is... The thing that I can narrow into most for this game, why I like it, is that you have access to a ton of items, a ton of items to help level out the battlefield for you. So you get handguns, you get machine guns, you get multi-rocket rocket launchers that you're just shooting point blank at people. Mm-hmm. Um, you have brooms, you have, uh, you can pick up um, grandfather clocks and swing those around at people. Uh, so it is just crazy, over-the-top. Guy steals the president's daughter. Of course, you remember that of scene course. from Die Hard yep. um, in Nakatomi Plaza. That's where Die Hard jumps out the window. Yep. Uh, I, I wish they just called the main character Die Hard. Um, <laughs> but I, I was a huge... Th- these three movies, like, we got Die Hard trilogy on VHS, and my parents let me watch that in ninety. 90- so I was like 10 years old. What? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Uh, so I got to see Die Hard 1 through 3 as a 10-year-old, and I wow. needed the, this game. Th- those are some messed up movies, although 2 is relative. I mean, there's just there's some boobies, but I mean, they're boobies. There's some boobies in the first one, too. There's, yeah, and 1 and 2. Both both have mm-hmm. uh, great. Uh, so I need <laughs> to mention right. that because that is a tentpole of the console. I think if you are going to get a Sega Saturn, this has to be in your library, whether it be Dynamite <clears throat> Deca or you get Die Hard Arcade in the U.S. Bit, bit of trivia for you. Yeah. There was a Streets of Rage 4 for the Saturn. What? Yeah. Uh, it was being developed by Core Design, and Sega pulled the Streets of Rage name. 
off of it. And it ended up being released across multiple platforms as Fighting Force. No crap. That was supposed to be Streets of Rage 4. Holy crap. Man, that I mean, that's not a bad game. It's not a great game either. It's not a great game. I rented that for N64. It was all right. Yeah. Yep. But that was supposed to be Streets of Rage 4. Damn. All right. Um, so what, what else do you have for, for some weirder game, weird, weird games that, you know, aren't too, uh, too expensive? I feel funny bringing this one up because Shinobi was such a major franchise for Sega. Um, but Shinobi Legions on uh, the Saturn or in Japan, I believe it's called uh, Shin Shinobi Den. Mm-hmm. Um, so weird. And it's an OK game, but it's so much fun to play just because of how different it is. So it's it's standard Shinobi style gameplay, you know, left to right, climbing, jumping, spinning, throwing shurikens, that sort of thing. But it's all done with digitized graphics. So the whole thing is done with a dude in a white ninja outfit um, fighting guys in black ninja outfits uh, through multiple stages. But the best part about it on top of that is that it has live action cutscenes, And they're so low budget. It's it's awesome. Um, like he's just the dude's just running through warehouses, obviously just running through warehouses and, you know, just weird stuff like that. And they're wearing really low budget costumes. Um, but it's fun just to watch. And the best part about it is, is that for as bizarre as the American one is, if memory serves, it was actually cut a lot to come out here. So the, the Japanese version, Shin Shinobi Den, is the cutscenes are even more bizarre and longer. Right. And it's just fun. It's just fun to watch, fun to play. And I, I did not look up the price for this. I cannot see this game being expensive in any way. It's cheap um, in Japan. It's fifteen bucks in Japan. There You're you going to be talking like more towards thirty or forty in the U.S. For fifteen bucks, it's so worth picking up because it's so weird. Especially when you consider that the precursors to these games were like the Revenge of Shinobi and Shadow Dancer and Shinobi mm-hmm. Three, like amazing games on the Genesis. And uh, yeah, then there was this. No soundtrack, but soundtrack by Yuzo Koshiro. No, no, and I actually don't think Sega even released it in in the U.S. It was actually released by Time Warner. No crap. All right, yeah. that's weird. Um, so, any other uh, weird games? I know you got a couple more on here. If you want, yeah, to run down. I'm gonna fire three of these out real quick. One of them is Steep Slope Sliders. The only reason I put this on here it's a it's a downhill um, snowboarding game. It's pretty good. It's not amazing, but it's pretty good. Uh, but one of the things that I we were talking about earlier about using um, the system clock, this game has mountains all over the world, and it actually uses your system clock to denote the time of day it is when you go to that. So if, like, uh, you're playing on the Japanese mountain, I'm, I'm guessing it's probably, I don't know what mountain it would have been, but if you're playing on the Japanese mountain in the game and it happens to be midnight in Japan right now, then it's going to be dark when you play in Japan in the game uh, based on your system clock, which I always thought was kind of fun. But... Um, the other two that I have here are called Mr. Bones and Three Dirty Dwarves. So uh, Mr. Bones was this weird American Sega game. I want to say it was actually Sega Soft. I don't know if you remember what Sega Soft is. Um, but it's just a it's a side-scrolling, 2D side-scrolling game where you play as a skeleton trying to uh, – I think he's trying to get back to his grave, actually. There's like this voodoo witch doctor who's – uh, raising a skeleton army and he's trying to free all these souls basically. But it's this cool little game that's it's based on music. It's actually the voice of the, the main character I think is a famous jazz musician. Um, and 
yeah, the whole game is just side scrolling. And the cool thing about it is, is his life bar is the bones in his body. So as you take hits, you let you lose limbs where you can actually end up just being a skull bouncing on a spinal cord. And then you have to get those limbs back in order to get back to full health, which I always thought was kind of fun. Um, Three Dirty Dwarves is a side-scrolling beat-em-up in the vein of like um, Streets of Rage, actually, um, with this extremely bizarre uh, story where you're playing as dwarves that are RPG characters of these kids you're trying to save. And they get thrown into the real world and they end up crash landing into a sporting goods store. So they outfit themselves with like football helmets and baseball bats and stuff like that. Cool. And you play as all three of them at once, but you're only controlling the guy at the front of the line. So, and they all have sort of different abilities. So like there's a guy with a bowling pin. He either hits people with the bowling pin or he throws bowling balls as his long range tack. Um, There's a guy with a shotgun who either hits them with the butt of the gun or he shoots them because that's hunting as a sport, I guess. Mm -hmm. And there's a guy with a baseball bat and he swings his bat as his main attack. And then he will also lob a baseball. Then you have to use the main attack to hit it at the right time to fire it across the screen. And your life bar is that you can only take one hit per dwarf. But as long as when they get knocked out, they just sit on the ground. And as long as you go over and smack them on the head with your weapon, they'll get back up and into the fight. And you can swap out each leader as you need them. It's a really cool little game, and it was totally overlooked because it's got a terrible title. Yeah. It's, it's a great title, but it's a terrible title. And uh, yeah, but it was, it was this really cool game. I, I really enjoyed it a lot, actually. It's, it's a lot of fun. You probably like it a lot. It sounds like it is uh, like the... I always get Guardian Heroes and Burning Rangers mixed up. Which one of those is the, the beat-em-up? Guardian Heroes. Okay. Yeah, it is similar to that. I, I, I wouldn't want to you know bring Guardian Heroes down too much by saying it's really the same, but... Sure. But Three Dirty Dwarves is a lot of fun. All right. So uh, a couple games to, to pick up there. Uh, we got even more for you, though. It's going to keep going. We got uh, some games that are a little bit more expensive, but are still worth checking out. So if you are willing to uh, deal with the credit card fees and uh, the APR that I don't know what that means, but I'm sure that means I'm paying more than I should. Uh, stick around we'll be right back with some expensive Sega Saturn games that are worth picking up
Okay, we're going to be going into the final segment here, talking about some expensive games that are worth checking out. Of course, uh, there's going to be some differences between Japanese and U.S. version of games. Um, but for the most part, uh, a lot of these games are just straight up expensive. Um, mm. So right off the bat, uh, Greg, what do you have in terms of like, all right, I got a couple hundred dollars. These are the games that I need. I, I saw that you put Panzer Dragoon on there. And I've this is coming from someone that's never played any of those games. Are these games worth picking up in general? And of course, there's uh, Panzer Dragoon. I think it's Saga that mm-hmm. in the U.S. that's just ridiculously expensive. Yeah. So the first two Panzer Dragoon games are straightforward, uh, straightforward 3D shooters, and they're definitely worth picking up. There are loads of fun. Um, the second one is the better of the two um, because it has this uh, evolution system as well, where your dragon actually changes its shape level to level based on your performance. So it's, it's 3D into the screen, but you also have to switch the camera around to fire left, right, and behind you. Um, and they're just gorgeous games. They, they, the world that the Andromeda, Team Andromeda, which was the developer, the world that they kind of and created around the, the dragon and the rider and the history and everything like that, um, it just really sucks you in. Um, and yeah, the second one is actually a prequel to the first one, but it's a much better game. And they look gorgeous. They're some of the best looking games on the Saturn. Saga is a completely different game. It's actually an RPG. Um, so there is shooting, but it's all very much, it's kind of turn-based. And it only happens when you get when you get caught in a battle, um, but it is a really good game. And again, it it draws on the very rich history that the team created right from the start uh, in the in in this universe. So it's it's really expensive. The first two are worth picking up no matter what. The third one is extremely expensive, and I find it hard to recommend it. It's one of my favorite games, but. For the amount of money that people want for it, I, I kind of he- hesitate to recommend it too highly. Like three hundred and fifty in the U.S. or well, this is one of the crazier comparisons: three fifty in the U.S. versus twenty dollars in Japan. Yeah, and the, <laughs> the problem is, is that where it's an RPG, you, you know, if you don't English. speak Japanese, yeah. you have a problem. Yep. So, and also yeah, the tough. other Panzer Dragoon games in Japan. Uh, do you need English to play the other two games? No. Because those are two, super cheap too. The other two can be played. Uh, in Japanese and actually what what dialogue there is is actually in a made up language great so you're not going to get you're not going to get English either way uh, we I already mentioned the for Sega ages outrun before that that's going to run you like $40 so that's all I'm going to say about that is yeah you know pick it up if you really like outrun because it has lots of cool things you can do in the options like with dip switches and things like that also there's a great um, arranged version of the outrun soundtrack that is worth listening to mm-hmm. uh for the fighting games you mentioned uh before that there are lots of staples like your x-men versus street fighters your marvel superheroes versus street fighters and to be honest if you're going to get that stuff uh you're obviously going to get it in japan and it's going to be like 25 dollars or less some of those games are going to be like 15 dollars, so it's not going to be very expensive to to get into those um but i know you mentioned a couple of fighting games in there that like Street Fighter Alpha 2 that and uh, Vampire Savior Lord of the Vampires, which are both pretty expensive in the U.S. Like you're talking like upwards of $100 where you can get what is really like Darkstalkers 3 for $10. Well, Darkstalkers, it's not even 3. Oh, it's 2. It's it's a separate one. I don't know if it's oh. 4 or what. But yeah, so Night Warriors, which was Darkstalkers 2, that came out in the U.S. Vampire okay. Savior was actually, I think, the fourth 
Darkstalkers game. Weird. Uh, it only came out in Japan, and it requires the Formeg cart. Okay. To play it. Um, but don't overlook it. If you're looking for fighters, I don't know how much that one costs in Japan, but it's if you're a Darkstalkers fan at all, or even if you're just a fan of Capcom fighting games. They're all cheap. Vampire, yeah, there you go. And Vampire Savior is so worth getting. It's it's an excellent game. Really? That 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 one's like $5. <laughs> like, there you go. So, yeah, it's worth it. Okay. Um, I'm happy I have that one coming on the uh, on a boat right now. So, uh, Street Fighter Alpha 2, obviously the best out of the Street Fighter Alpha series. I don't think there's any argument Amen. about that. Um, there's a guy going to the bathroom in one of the Sages, which is fun. Uh, <laughs> there's also a really good version on the Super Nintendo if you don't want to get a Sega Saturn. Yes. Uh, at least a weird, cool version of but it. But it won't play on the Retron 5, will it? Oh, I guess not. Well, now the reason not to buy one. <laughs> That's just a fun little <clears throat> side story. Uh, I'm, I'm listening up on the Retron 5. I just don't need one. So... Uh, Radiant Silver Gun, if we're going to talk about shooters, that's going to come up. Yeah. And that game is incredibly expensive. Like you, you wrote down there, it's $500. Like, Yeah, and that's, what? <clears throat> that was the best I could find on short notice here. Yeah, that game, I don't know why that game is so expensive. I mean, and that's not an indictment of the quality. I just don't understand how it, that game ended up being so expensive. I don't know if it was like a low print run or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I believe you can get that on Xbox Live Arcade. Yes, yeah, so it's it's not worth spending the money unless you're like a major collector and you've got to have it in your collection. It's an awesome game. It's so good. Um, miles better than Ikaruga as far as I'm concerned. But um, Well, let's put that in that category of like bullet hell shooters. <laughs> like you're going to have lots of stuff coming at you. Yeah. But you have the tools to make sure you can navigate it. Exactly. That's why, because I'm not a fan of bullet hell shooters at all. But Radiant Silvergun pulls it off because it has this great system where you can actually collect some of the projectiles and it looks like a windshield wiper up. it does it's really strange but it looks it looks gorgeous it looks great not just for, for a saturn game but for a, a game in general but where you can get it on live arcade and and elsewhere i think i'm not sure it's not worth spending the insane amount of money unless you're like a hardcore collector that has to have it uh obviously there's there's uh don pachi and dodon pachi which are uh, two other games that are in that category, which aren't too bad. Like you're going to be talking under $60, but from someone that has not played them, all I can say is that other people like on that Retronauts episode, I think it was both Shane and uh, Milky who said that this is like the greatest game of all time and that you should own Dodo and Pachi. So never played it. Might be worth it. I'll see if uh, I can find a cheap copy for you next time I'm out there. (laughs) Um, But the uh, the shooters are obviously, like I said, they're plentiful. They're easy to come by. There's tons of stuff on the console. So if you have any interest in vertical or horizontal shooters, like there's no question to pick up a Saturn right now. Uh, same thing with the 2D fighters. But there's also uh, some good party games on there. Uh, Saturn Bomberman is, mm. for a lot of people, regarded as the best Bomberman game in the series, like next to Bomberman 93. Um, I've never played it. What are your thoughts on, on Saturn Bomberman, and, and why why is it up there as like one of the best ones? Uh, blasphemy here. I, I'm not a Bomberman fan. I've never been into those games. Um, but yeah, the Saturn Bomberman, I mean, my understanding is the, the one of the key issues is that it's, I think it's 10 players. So yeah, it's, it, it's like you just take Bomberman and multiply it by 10. It's a great, it is a great game, even with like two to four players mm-hmm. with 10 players and the gigantic stages that come with that. 
Like, I mean, if you look up some videos of that, I, some of the stages are just insane. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see why people would be crazy about it. If, if they like Bomberman, they're, they'd be crazy about game, that game. It makes total sense. But I'm, I'm just, I can't speak too much on it because I've never really liked those games. I'll just echo what other people have said is that, the, you know, the single player ramps up uh, very um, forgivingly. Uh, it doesn't mm-hmm. just throw you right into it. So if you want to get some enjoyment, the single player is actually really good, too. Um, this is one of those games that is 10 times more, literally 10 times more expensive in the U.S. than it is in Japan. I uh, can get Saturn Bomberman in Japan for about 10 Ten dollars or a thousand yen. We're going to be doing a hundred dollars plus in the U.S. And they also released uh, Saturn Bomberman specific controllers and multi taps. Yeah, the, the multi taps like have the main character's head on them. Yeah, they're cool looking. <laughs> um, what the hell is Dragon Force? Dragon Force. Okay, so this is it's funny at the bottom of our list here. I've got a bunch of games listed, and they're almost all RPGs. So <clears throat> Dragon Force was an RPG that was. Uh, released by Sega in Japan and was released by Working Designs here. And it's basically an army-based game. So the idea is you move around. uh, There's, I think, eight different uh, monarchs or warlords in this land that you're in. And you want to move around and take over their territory. And while that sounds like a Koei game, which would probably turn a lot of people off, it's very uh, accessible and user-friendly. Basically, when you get into fights with other groups you're controlling an army and what that amounts to is you're on a gigantic field and you've got hundreds of little characters running at each other and fighting all these little sprites and while you give them commands in real time like to basically the formations that they take or whether you want them to try to break through the enemy line and just attack the other commander because the two commanders stand on either end of the field um that's pretty much all you do in the fights until you you build up enough energy to use one of your special attacks, which could be a lot of different things. The main one I remember is that my character would swing his sword and it would send a wave of energy out that would just mow through any of the little enemy characters standing in the way and do damage to the, the main uh, the main enemy on the other end of the field. But it's just a great game. It's got gorgeous graphics. It's a lot of fun. It's really accessible. Uh, and Working Designs did a really good job on the port. And there was actually a second game released in Japan, Dragon Force 2, that never came here, unfortunately. And I don't know whether it's ever been translated or not. But it's one of my favorite RPGs on the system. What about Shining Force 3? Shining Force 3, same thing. Um, great RPG, of course, if you remember Shining Force 1 and 2 on the Genesis, very good RPGs as well. Um, it's a strategy RPG Um so you move basically you move your characters one by one on the battlefield until they meet up with each other. And then it's one on one battle with those characters. Um, Shining Force three on the Saturn was released in three parts, uh, three different versions of the game. Chapter two and three never came here and they weren't officially translated. Although the last time I spoke to you, you hipped me to the fact that they have been fan translated. Yes. Uh, so, again, Shining Force three. Great, great games. Um uh, a little expensive, and the only way you can play it in English officially is to play the first chapter only. Mm-hmm. But uh, there are fan translations of the other two. Yeah, this is that's that is one of the biggest bummers in the world is when you get you know the first it's like getting the first chapter of a, a movie series and then not being able to finish it up just because yeah they did not decide to bring it over to where you want to to see a Shenmue it. or they just don't make them. Yeah. Oh man, what whatever happened to Rio? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Um, and his poor mother. One other game that I want to throw out here real quick, yeah. just in case we missed it, Mega Man 8. Yeah. 
um, just for the main fact that it is expensive. I don't know what it costs in Japan. In the U.S., it's like $250, $300, I think. That's a good question. I'll, I'll look it up, uh, you know, right now. <laughs> but the, Okay, the key, the key reason I'm bringing it up is because Mega Man 8 was a great game. It's probably my favorite Mega Man outside of the first three games. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Saturn and PlayStation versions had slight differences, which weren't really all that consequential. But the Saturn version actually has two extra boss characters. I forget what the two of them. One of them was Woodman, actually, from Mega Man 2. I forget who the other one was. And the Saturn version was the only place that you could play Mega Man 8 with those extra characters. Um, and when Mega Man Anniversary Collection came out on, like, the Xbox and the PS2 and the GameCube, the Mega Man 8 that's on that collection is based on the PlayStation game, not the Saturn game. So the most complete version of Mega Man 8 is on the Saturn. Capcom loves the Sega Saturn. They were Saturn people, yes. It goes for about $60 for the Japanese version. So that's not bad. Not bad. And if you've never played Mega Man 8, 60 bucks is not a bad price to play, pay because it is a really good game. But it has the terrible voice acting in it. Oh, but you got to love that. Come on. Oh, Elmer, I, Elmer Fudd is Dr. Light. We played maybe like 10 minutes of that game. I'm like, well, this is a $250 game. I should at least take a look at it. And I'm like, this is, no, not. I'm you got to look past that. And if you get the Japanese version, you, you wouldn't be getting those voices anyway, I wouldn't think. Sure. I'm still trying to play through Mega Man 4, 5, and 6, and 1 on the uh, Famicom before I mm-hmm. go any further with uh, that stuff. Um, I'm trying to see uh, where we left any other holes. Of course, um, like I mentioned before, we're not going to get through uh, everything on here. There's there's just so many games for the console, especially stuff that was only out in Japan. Um, but is there anything else that you wanted to make sure that we hit on before we wrapped up on things probably, that people should check out? Probably the biggest one that I don't want to miss is um, Guardian Heroes. And again, I don't know what the Japanese value of that is. It's cheap. It's like 40 bucks. There you go. Guardian Heroes. 40. Absolutely worth thirty-five to forty dollars. Um, it's a uh, another. It's a brawler. It's I think it's up to four. I guess actually up to six players. Six player brawler mm-hmm. uh, from Treasure, who made great games. The same people that made Radiant Silver Gun, Gunstar Heroes, things like that. So um, definitely for forty bucks, you can't go wrong. That that one is worth every every penny. Cool. And, and Burning Rangers is more of like. A- is that a beat 'em up too, or no? Burning Rangers is uh, the Sonic. I think it was the last Sonic Team game on the Saturn, and what it is is actually a firefighting game, but it's a futuristic firefighting game where you're actually using guns to to to, uh, <laughs> to extinguish fires. Well, why wouldn't um, you? It's a cool little game. It's hard to describe. It's kind of hard to play now. I was actually trying to play it the other night, and where you're using digital controls in a 3D world, it's a little bit tough. Um, the major bummer about that game is that it's expensive in the U.S. because it's also one of those final U.S. Saturn games. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's cheap in Japan, the entire game's navigation is done through audio. So you have you have a controller in your ear telling you where to go. Mm-hmm. And if you don't speak Japanese, you can't play it. Great. So just a little warning. Good game from Sonic Team. But if you're not a Japanese, if you can't understand Japanese, you will not be able to play that game. Okay, so I think those are some games for people to get started with. That's like 35 games to get started on your Sega Saturn, which should be enough to hold you over for a little bit. Um, maybe what we'll do is we'll see if we can get some feedback from the audience and we'll do like a follow-up at some point uh, to, to round this thing out. But uh, there's plenty of stuff to get started on there. And, and most recently, um, Greg and I have both been streaming on Twitch. So if you want to check out um, like what some of these games look like, uh, I've been streaming at uh, twitch.com slash Kevin Larrabee. And uh, Greg, what is yours for Twitch? I'm going to go double check. I think it's G Stewart. 
Give me yeah, one second. Actually, that sounds perfect. Well, I, well he's checking yeah, that no, out. No, it's just Seward. Twitch.tv uh, slash Seward, S-E-W-A-R-T. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, make sure you bookmark those archives or of the videos of the streams are on there as well if you want to see what these games look like. And uh, make sure you are also following us on Twitter at S-E-W-A-R-T, and I'm at Word. Kevin Larrabee. Uh, of course, at Back in My Play, at P1 Podcast. You can go to generation-16.com. And, of course, don't forget to go to iTunes and submit reviews for Back in My Play and for the Player One Podcast on there. I think that might be about it. That was a lot of Sega Saturn. It's never enough Sega Saturn. That's one thing I've noticed and why I wanted to do this is that there isn't enough Sega Saturn. And I, when I was looking for information on this stuff, there wasn't a lot of like podcasts and things out there for me to check out. So hopefully this is fixing part of that problem. And you guys come back next time where we're probably going to be talking about Robocop versus Terminator. I don't know. There's now we've got a ton of episodes in the, in the can. So uh, we'll see what comes next, but uh, Greg, thank you so much. And thank you everyone out there for joining us to talk about, uh, the the Sega Saturn that could.